0: Uh, Last week, we began our series on Titus, uh, where we looked at how to be spiritually healthy, how to be godly in a godless culture. Uh, Today, we'll be looking at godly leadership and what that looks like. So let's listen to God in his word from Titus chapter 1, beginning at verse 5. Titus chapter 1, verse 5. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered, or a drunkard, or violent, or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced, since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work." This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Last year, uh, two surveys were conducted about uh, people. They asked people who they trusted. They asked people what what type of professionals do they trust. This was done in Britain and Australia. I'll give you one guess about which profession came in in last place. It was, of course, politicians. Yes. Uh, Apparently, we have issues with our leaders. Many of us have concerns. And not just in the government, uh, but also here in the church. You see, sadly, many of us have been on the receiving end of poor leadership. Some of us have been burned by our leaders, being casualties in their wake. And it hurts all the more, doesn't it, because we trusted them to do the right thing, and they let us down. And so it's perfectly understandable if you're skeptical about your leaders. Good leaders are important, but they're hard to come by. Where do we get them from? Does God have anything to say about good and godly leadership? Well, yes, of course. That is why we're here in Titus. We're given God's standard for leadership of his people. We'll see in Titus chapter 1 what God's leaders should be, what they should do, and why they should do it. However, Titus chapter 1 isn't just for leaders or those who want to be leaders. It's also for those who will appoint leaders one day. It's about knowing what to look for in your leaders. It's also for those of us who are raising children who may one day become leaders, about knowing what we should focus on as parents. And it's also for us who are under leadership, so that we can keep our leaders accountable and know how to help them grow. So Titus chapter 1 has something for us all. So it's no time to hit the snooze button or switch off. So if you're fed up with inadequate leadership, God's word in Titus teaches us about what godly leaders should be and do. Today we'll see the type of person that God calls to be leaders. So Titus chapter 1 shows us three things. It shows us that God's leaders possess godly character preserve God's truth, and promote the faith. So point one, God's leaders possess godly character. The inner character of a leader impacts others for good or ill. Therefore, having a leader with godly character is invaluable. Paul begins by letting Titus know why he was left in Crete, that ungodly culture. It was to appoint leaders or elders in every town. Look with me at verse 5. It says, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. And so... One of the aims of choosing elders or leaders is to provide order, which comes from having a godly character. We'll also notice in verse 6 that God's leaders are to be good family men. They're to be a one-woman man and raise children who are not opposed to the faith, but actually have faith in Jesus. Look at verse 6. It says, if anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery and insubordination. Well, we could spend a lot of time debating whether a father with unbelieving children is fit for leadership. But let's leave that debate for another time. Maybe you can come and chat with me afterwards or Jared. Better handball it to Jared there. <laughs> It's a tricky one, Um, but let's focus on what the passage is concerned about. Uh, God's word is concerned about how men lead their families. And God's word is also concerned about the character of his leaders. And we see this by this impressive list in verses 7 and 8. Uh, God's leaders or overseers are called his stewards. That is, they look after God's things, his household, his family. And this, of course, implies that God is in charge, not his uh, leaders. And so we're accountable to God about how we look after his family. Godly leaders are accountable to God, and they must get their directions from God in His Word. This is the starting point of all good believers. Leaders, uh, sorry, all good leaders, leaders who are Um, leaders who consider themselves God's servants, as Paul does. Look at verse 1. Leaders who are so grateful to God for saving them that they want to serve him and his people. A godly character in leaders begins in the heart that has been captured by the grace of God. Only then will they rely on God to strengthen them and help them produce uh, these godly qualities in verses 7 and 8. So let's look at verse 7 and 8. The first quality listed there is being above reproach. Now that is, they are publicly and privately living God's way, not living in unrepentant sin. And as we go through this list, it's, it's helpful if we not just look at what leaders shouldn't be, but what they should be as well. So for example, in verse 7, rather than being arrogant, God's leaders are to be humble. Rather than quick-tempered, they're to be patient. Rather than being a drunk, they're to be free from addictive substances, particularly those that impair our judgment. Rather than being violent, they're to be gentle. Rather than greedy, they're to be generous. And then in verse 8, God's leaders are to be hospitable. Rather than closed off. They're to be a lover of good things. Rather than loving evil things. They're to be self-controlled rather than out of control. They're to be upright rather than unjust. They're to be holy, not worldly. They're to be disciplined, not impulsive. Do you feel overwhelmed? No, it's just me then. Well, I certainly do. Don't put your hand up, but on your best day, could you say that you possess these godly qualities? I can't. It's not a chance. Not, not, Not half. But do you know who does possess all these qualities? It is, of course, Jesus, the God-man. He perfectly exemplifies each of these qualities. Jesus is perfectly humble, patient, gentle, generous, hospitable, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. And Jesus is just like his Father. Remember our first Bible reading, Ezekiel 34? God promised to look after his people rather than abusing them like the human leaders were. You see, unfortunately, like many leaders today, uh, the leaders of Israel were taking advantage of those in their care. And so God says in Ezekiel 34 that he will look after his people like a shepherd. And God fulfills this through his son. Who said in John 10, I am the good shepherd. You see, God models what He desires of His leaders. He enables us to possess godly character, empowered by the Spirit, too. So you see, God isn't asking us to do something He's not willing to do Himself. He isn't, God never says, Do as I say, not as I do. And you know, God knows that we will never live up to this list in this life perfectly, will we? This is the high bar for God's leaders. It's not meant to overwhelm us. It's not meant to paralyze us. It's actually meant to inspire us about how important good leadership is to God. It's, It's meant to point us to Jesus as the one who leads his church as the servant king. It's meant to motivate, motivate us to strive for these qualities in our own lives as we rely on His grace and His Holy Spirit to, to uh, produce it. True or false, the church suffers when they have ungodly leaders. It's true. So if that's the case, uh, shouldn't we be praying for God to raise up leaders who possess godly character? Why not use verses 7 and 8 to pray for your leaders and elders that they would grow in these areas too? What about us as a church? Hmm? Uh, Do we value character over charisma and gifts? Uh, Would you accept a leader who's gifted in preaching, say, but isn't our people person, just doesn't have that character quality? Or how about you? Uh, looking at verses 7 and 8, can you say that by God's grace you're growing in these areas? Can I point to you as someone who I can say they are possessing these godly qualities by God's grace? If I can't, why might that be? And so Titus shows us that God's leaders are to possess godly character, but they're also to preserve God's truth. This leads us to point two. God's leaders preserve his truth. Preserving and protecting God's truth is essential for his leaders. They must hold on to the truth rather than making up their own. We all know how damaging lies can be in leadership. When people cover up the truth or mislead others. And so it's no surprise that God's leaders are commanded to preserve the truth. And they do this in two ways, by teaching and by rebuking. We see that there in verse 9. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict it. You see, first off, God's leaders are to preserve the truth by teaching it to others. Teaching that trustworthy God, that trustworthy word, which is of course God's word. But in order to teach others, you have to understand, you need to know it yourself, don't you? And therefore, God's leaders must be good students of the word, able to teach it to others. We live in a time where many people spread lies and deceive others quite rapidly. Our social media has made it easy for people to just voice their opinions about, about anything, whether it's, whether it's true or not. And so, God's leaders must be on the ball, they must teach and instruct those around them, especially when it relates to God's word. Why? Because falsehood and lies actually harms His people. Titus faced a similar situation to us. People were going around teaching things that they shouldn't. And what happened? Entire families were upset. The word is literally turned upside down or ruined. Look at verses 10 and 11 with me. It says, For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. You see, this leads us to our second thing that leaders should be doing. They should be rebuking those who contradict God's word. It's like uh, gangrene. You know, that horrible, horrible disease where a part of the body begins to decay and rot. It can be fatal, if untreated but if that part is cut off it can save the person's life and so it is with the people in verse 10 if they're not silenced and rebuked then it'll be there'll be great damage for God's people but if we do rebuke them if God's leaders do rebuke them then it'll not only preserve the trustworthy word but also help God's people grow and flourish Today, <clears throat> telling people, some, telling people uh, that they're wrong is difficult. It's extremely difficult. Uh, most people don't like to be corrected. I'm not sure if you're aware. Yeah. So most people don't like to be rebuked. They'd rather be comforted than corrected. And so God's leaders, if they want to preserve the truth really have their work cut out for them. But again, God isn't asking us to do something he hasn't done himself. And look throughout the whole Bible, God calls sin, sin. And in the words of Jesus, Jesus says words like, unless you repent, you will perish. You see, therefore God's leaders should aim to preserve the truth by rebuking others when they contradict it. God's leaders are to be hands-on, not hands-off when it comes to preserving the truth. Because if they just let it slide, it communicates the the subtle message that God's truth isn't worth preserving as much as it is about keeping the peace. It sends that subtle message that preserving the truth by rebuking others isn't as important as making someone feel good or happy or comfortable. Therefore, we need to allow our leaders to rebuke us when we go astray. Yes, it'll be painful at first, but ultimately it'll be for our benefit and strengthen us in God's truth. We need to be people who welcome that hard word, making it easy for our leaders to obey, verse 9. Look again at the task of God's leaders in verse 9. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So if you're a leader or hope to be a leader one day, how are you going at teaching people? How are you going at using your gifts to preserve the truth? There are many ways to do this, as I'm sure you know. Like for instance, you could uh, join a Bible study or lead a Bible study. You could help at Sunday school. Um, You could teach your children at home. Or you could even give preaching a go. Have a chat with Jared uh, if you feel like you could serve God's people by teaching them. But here's the harder application for you leaders out there. How are you going at rebuking God's people when they go astray? Are you willing to rebuke someone to preserve the truth rather than keep the peace? No doubt it'll be difficult, but not rebuking will be even more devastating in the long run. And those of us who are under leadership, are you open to being rebuked when you stray from God's word? Or would you prefer that your leaders would just, you know, mind their own business? So we've seen that God's leaders are to possess godly character and preserve the truth, but they're also to promote the faith. So point three, God's leaders promote the faith. The goal of God's leaders is to strengthen the faith of believers. One one of the main purposes of God's leaders is to encourage sound faith in others. We see this there in verses 13 and 14. It says, This testimony is true. Therefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. You see, the purpose of the teaching and the purpose of the rebuking is not to have it your way. It's actually to promote the faith. Literally, the word is have a healthy faith in Jesus. Free from being led astray by myths or false teachers. That's what God's leaders should be aiming for. Believers to be growing in their faith. you know. And then Paul says this confusing statement in verse 15 and 16. He says, To the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Well, what does this mean? Why does Paul say this here? Well, this is, in fact, a summary of what Paul has been saying thus far in the letter. You see, apparently, people are getting upset about what others are saying about how to be pure, how to be a Christian. For example, in verse 10, people are elevating the importance of circumcision. In verse 11, people were teaching things for financial gain, just seeing God's people as little dollar signs. And in verse 14, people were preoccupied with Jewish myths and listening to people who had already turned away from the truth rather than growing in their faith. So in short, some people were going around convincing the church that by doing certain religious things, They could be clean with God. They could be pure before God. And this was hindering God's people from sound faith, creating obstacles for them. And so you can see why Paul instructs Titus to rebuke such people, can't you? But here, in in verse 15 and 16, Paul then goes on to say, if you've been made pure, if you have been made pure by having faith in Jesus alone, then you're already clean. You can enjoy what God has given you, uh, knowing that it won't make you any more or any less pure. So to you, good Christian, all things are pure, is what Paul is saying. Just like that wonderful vision uh, that Peter had, uh, where lots of meat was descending on this giant banquet mat. You remember that? And then Jesus reassures Peter, Take and eat. Oh, those beautiful words. And so it is with us. We can enjoy all of God's good gifts, knowing that it doesn't make us any more or less pure. However, Paul says, if you're already defiled and unbelieving, then nothing you do can be considered pure. Uh, Why? Because your your mind and your conscience is already defiled by sin. Uh, We saw this last week. They are disqualified from doing any good work, let alone experiencing being clean before God. That's what God's leaders are to make clear. How to be right with God by faith in Jesus alone. That's how they promote sound faith. That our standing before God isn't based on what we do. It's based on what Jesus has already done. This is what God's leaders must make abundantly clear that we're saved by the grace of God often in the person and work of Jesus. Do you see how this is totally different from the leaders that we're used to? This is totally different from what Titus was used to on Crete as well. And once again we see that God is the one who does the work. He's the one that blesses his people with that gift of faith. Remember, all of us At one point or another, we're like verse 12. We were like the Cretans. We were liars. We were evil. We were lazy. And yet God still loved us. God still drew us to himself by sending his son to the cross so that we could be right with him. Where Jesus took the punishment that we deserved, raising from the dead so that we could be clean and pure before God, able to live with him forever. And God continues to care for our needs today by sending men like Paul and Titus, men like a Jared, a Craig, Steve and Trevor who aspire to follow the example of the Lord and Saviour Jesus who promote and strengthen the faith of believers even here in Frankston. So be encouraged. Be encouraged that God has provided faithful leaders who care about your faith but also pray that God would uh, raise up more leaders who will promote the faith, like verse 13 says. So we've seen today God's standard for his leaders. They are to possess godly character, uh, preserve his truth, and promote the faith. There is truly no joy quite like serving uh, God Serving as his steward because he is so loving and patient and gracious to us. He welcomes us into his home. He teaches us his truth and he strengthens our faith. But what about you? What about you this morning? Would you consider serving God and his people by being a Titus 1 leader? A leader who possesses godly character, preserves God's truth and promotes the faith? If so, maybe have a chat with Jared or one of the elders about it. Or do you know someone who fits this criteria, who is growing and striving in godly character? Could you tap them on the shoulder and maybe have a conversation with them in the coming weeks? Wouldn't it be great if we had too many godly leaders not just in our church, but in our workplaces and in our homes. One day, we won't need any more leaders because we'll have God. We'll be with him where there is no more lies, no more evil, no more sin. All believers can look forward to that day when we'll be with our good shepherd, our perfect king, our servant king, our humble saviour, our good teacher, the Lord Jesus himself. So let's ask God to give us wisdom in how to apply this passage and respond in faithful obedience. Now let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for fulfilling your promise to be our shepherd through your Son. And thank you that we see how to be a godly leader through the example of the good shepherd, Jesus who nurtures and protects his sheep. Uh, Please uh, grant us wisdom as we seek to live in response to your word. If there is sin in our hearts, uh, please help us to repent and turn to you afresh today. If we are reluctant to obey, uh, please motivate us with the precious gospel. If we are willing to obey but tired, uh, please strengthen us, And if we are unwilling to obey or repent, please rebuke us from going astray and draw near to us so that we may turn and be saved. O Lord, you know the great need we have for godly leaders, particularly in our denomination. And so we humbly ask that you would raise up for yourself godly leaders who will preserve the gospel and promote the faith of your people. And please help each of us to grow in godly character preserving the truth and promoting the faith. In all these things, may your holy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This we ask in the name of Jesus, the Good Shepherd. Amen.